I think about if we actually look at those lyrics or if we just kind of sing it because it's a good melody. And I struggle with that a lot because uh, when you grow up in the church, you kind of just memorize songs that you hear or good melodies or different things like that. And sometimes I sit around and I think about what it would look like if I actually lived those lyrics out. And I'm telling you, it's convicting. I appreciate the band and Josiah and everyone who was able to just lead us to the throne room. Amen? Amen. Hey, so (laughs) I don't know if you guys knew this, but I know Josiah. I've known Josiah for a long time. And uh, actually, his, I think it was his second summer of ministry, like being called to ministry at our old church together, was my, his second summer was my first summer. And so I started working and I immediately was working with Josiah. So Josiah has always been a part of my life and he's all, or, or my ministry life. And, um, and we, it's pretty cool. I was sitting around thinking about like just all the years that we've worked together and all the, it's, it's crazy how the Lord works and it's crazy how the Lord uh, just provides a, a, a friend like him. Uh, one of the, one of the things that as many of you may not know, I've worked with him for, well, I don't know how many years now, 54 years or so, but, uh, I, we've made it, Josiah, we made it. But I don't know if you guys knew, but over the years, we've done a lot of silly projects. One of the projects we've done was uh, we created a, a hit music video. Um, I don't know if you guys knew about this, but it absolutely blew up on YouTube. That, that, that picture's from like 2005, so sorry about that. You know, it's hard to, there's not much clarity there, but... Uh, it, We've, we, we made this music video, pretty much knocked the YouTube servers down with all the traffic that it <laughs> established, but it's up to about a thousand views, so, you know, I guess you can say things are getting pretty serious. 900 of those views are me and Josiah watching it, <laughs> refining and studying, you know. However, Josiah and his brother Joel... Uh, finally, I say finally created a weekly YouTube series. Some of you know, know about this. Some of you do not. That's okay. You will know about it in about 50 seconds. There's this weekly, and I say finally because like it was inevitable that this would happen. If you know about this, you know how absolutely ridiculous this is going to be. And uh, in, all, in all honesty, it's the show that we never knew we wanted, but now we can't live without. And so uh, you want to subscribe or follow them on YouTube. It's a show, uh, it's pure ridiculous, ridiculousness with a side of faith encouragement and a side of them that you may have not seen before. So I would recommend you trying it out. Uh, but I was watching it this week. It's every week. I was watching it this week. And uh, Josiah went on a long, uh, about a minute long tangent about a story which unbeknownst to him at the time we were actually going to study today, this week. So uh, a minute-long tangent. Enjoy this real quick. Oh, do we have any uh, superhero of the faith we want to shout out to this week? Oh, man. How about the uh, crazy slave girl on Philippi? Ooh. Because she was like, ah! And Paul was like, ah! And he's like, get out of there. P.S. You remember Paul from last week. She was like annoying Paul and cast the demons at her. 
And then her owners were like, hey, that was our source of income. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Jerk. So they had him thrown in prison. The slave girl was one of like the founding pillars of the church in Philippi. Hmm. It was her, Lydia, who was like a powerful businesswoman. And then, you know, the jailer. That when the prison doors flung open and he was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> and Paul's like, no, "Chill, we're still here." <laughs> so we don't know her name, but this is probably here's probably what she looked like, <laughs> or this, or this, or this, or this. But now she looks like this. So, right? Yeah, you got to tune in weekly. Uh, change your life. I don't know if that's of God, but uh, I feel like the way he orchestrated this, God orchestrated this uh, somehow this week to coincide with, with the message this week. So if you can, you want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. We're in Acts chapter, chapter 16. I know we're, we're putzing along, but we're getting there, right? But here's the deal. I, I, I think that sometimes we think about, you know, how long are we going to be in Acts? Well, Acts is full of good stuff. As a matter of fact, I used to tell my youth group, I used to say, you know, if Acts was made into a movie, it'd be rated R. And all of them were like, oh, no, where's Acts? You know? <laughs> but Acts is full of, uh, full of excitement and it's full of good stuff. And so uh, with that being said, let's open our word. Um, the header of your Bible may say, like mine, says Paul and Silas in prison. Uh, but let's see how they got there. Let's start with verse 16 of Acts chapter 16, as we read. It's a lot of scripture, and hopefully it's on the screen. There it is. Uh, I just want to make sure that we're going to stop in the middle of it. John, I'm not going to read the whole thing all the way through right now. We're going to jump around a little bit. But Acts chapter 16, verse 16. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed, as we saw on Josiah's video, Joel and Josiah, that he turned around and said to the spirit that was within her, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Now, before we continue, the problem with, wasn't with the words that she spoke. Matter of fact, when we read those words, we read, these men are servants of the most high God, true, who are telling you the way to be saved, also true. So the words themselves weren't the issue, but it was the spirit behind the words, that was the issue. So I wonder how many of us can relate. And this is not what the sermon's about, but it's hard not to think about this. It's hard not to think about words sometimes can come across, the spirit of the words can come across in a way that you never meant that. Maybe some of you are in leadership at your company. How you speak to your employers is huge. How you speak to the people who work with you and the people who are underneath you or the people that are working alongside you on different projects or different things and whatever job you may have. It's so important because sometimes the words are true, but the delivery is awful. 
I wonder if we could relate. So when her owners, verse 19, so when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, I have a problem with this. I have a huge problem, and so, so should you. So, so we're just going to pretend like we're fine with the demon-possessed girl, slave girl making their owners money, but, it's, but we're not cool with the freedom that they offer her from the, from the spirit, from the spirit of fortune-telling. We're going to be fine with the fact that, oh yeah, she's, she's, she's a slave and she's being forced into this job, into this labor, but we're not okay with freedom for her? All throughout the, the chapter 16, all throughout 16, if you want to go read the, the rest of it, we don't have time to read all of it, all throughout 16, there's so many political ramifications. There's so many social ramifications They're so relevant to where we are right now. And we won't get into all that because, frankly, we don't have time. But I want you to take a look at that scripture on your own this week, if you you, you can. It's so backwards. And then verse 22 says, The crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, which, by the way, many people died from this flogging. Roman, Romans uh, flogging and, and severely beating uh, people in those days was not uncommon. And many people actually died. So you know it was a legitimate, tough situation physically that Paul and Silas found themselves in. They had been severely, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Watch out for those guys. They're disrupting our way of life. When, we, when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, the inner cell is different than just the regular jail cell. The inner cell was dark. Completely, usually, it was completely dark, and this is what we're going to find out later in the story when we see the, the lights, you know, turn on the, hit those lights, turn on the lamps, turn on the torches because I can't see. The inner cell was dark. The inner cell was where they kept the people they did not want to escape, and they closely and carefully guarded them. So they kept them in there, and they fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, here we go, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Hold on. <laughs> praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew, hold on a second, I thought he was supposed to guard him carefully, he's asleep. 
The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. You see, the, the penalty for escaped prisoners, especially ones that were supposed to be carefully guarded, was death. He knew this. The jailer knew that he was in trouble if they had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out. Or, I'm sorry. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At, the time, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then he immediately and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them to, into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial. Even though we are Roman citizens, they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officer reported this to the magistrates. And then, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they got scared. They were alarmed, to say the least. They came to appease them and escorted them out from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, which is talked about, Lydia's talked about earlier in the chapter where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them, and then they left. I know that was a lot. I appreciate you sticking with me. We have a lot to cover. I've heard this story before quite a a few times. Matter of fact, I first heard this story when I was a little kid. Some of you may be in that same boat. This is a pretty famous story. This is a story that you hear in children's church. I heard this story when I was a kid. But in see, in grade school, when I was younger, a lot younger, in grade school, my focus was on the miracle. My focus was on the earthquake, right? The chains coming loose and falling off, the prison doors flying open. My perspective as a child was at the wonder of the provision of God for his people. And what a provision that is. What a wonder. What a miracle. There are many in this room who can testify to God's provision. There are many in this room and here who can testify to God's wonder. You know it. And if this is the first time you've ever heard this story, or maybe this is the first time you've been in church, that provision is real. That provision is available to you, to me, to all of us. We only need to ask. 
But we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Now, as an adult, hearing the story again, reading the story again, my focus can't help but shift. My focus now as an adult, as someone who has walked in this Christian faith for a while, is on the perspective of Paul and Silas sitting in the inner cell, singing. I don't need to expand on that. They were beaten and flogged and imprisoned, and they were singing. This got me thinking about the jailer. Got me thinking about the jailer in verse 30. And he came up to them and he was so alarmed and so ready to take his own life even. Something so drastic as that. In verse 30 he comes to them and he says, What must I do to be saved? What was his reasoning for asking that? Do you think it was the miracle? Do you think it was the earthquake? Do you think it, I mean, it's likely, right? It's likely that he saw this power, this display of power of God's provision and God's wonder and God's miracle. It's very likely that he saw that and that he was overcome. But I believe to choose some, I I have a problem. I believe, I want to focus and look at something maybe besides the miracle. Because perhaps maybe the miracle in the story isn't necessarily the earthquake. The miracle in the story perhaps is the fact that they were chained with their feet in stocks, singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound saved a wretch like me. I don't know what the song was. It says hymns. So let's go to Amazing Grace. I don't know that's a, that's not a hymn, but I, it's close enough. Perhaps what the jailer saw was, or what the jailer heard was out front guarding the inner cell, hearing singing behind him. Could that have maybe caused him to pause? Could that have maybe caused him to think about what is going on with these men? They were severely beaten within an inch of their life perhaps. And I'm hearing something I've never heard before. I'm hearing singing in the midst of the ugliness, in the midst of the inner cell. It's not a crazy stretch of the imagination Church, that in these moments, perhaps God's provenient grace settled into the soul of the jailer that day. I choose to believe that the earthquake was the icing on the cake when it came to that salvation of the jailer that day. Maybe not but I like the sound of it. I, like the jailer, marvel at the faith of someone who would sit in stocks, broken and bleeding, 
and, are, and is still able to find the strength to praise and to pray. Do you ever stop and think in your life, do you ever stop and think that sometimes maybe in the midst of despair, that deliverance is at hand? When you find yourself in the pit, when you find yourself in the failure, that faith and freedom come knocking. On Wednesday night, some of you guys, some of you teenagers maybe that were here, on Wednesday night I preached a message about, to, the, to the youth group about fear of failure. And I told them about a time in high school when I found myself on the biggest stage I've ever played on. And I personally failed miserably. Here's the thing. We can't ignore our failures, can we? We can't ignore them. We can't pretend like they're not there. We can't pretend like our setbacks don't exist. As we sit in the inner jail cells of our lives with our respective shackles on our feet and on our hands, or, and whatever those shackles in your life and in my life, whatever they represent, we can't just imagine that there, this isn't happening. We can't just imagine that this hasn't happened or that our failures don't exist or that this setback doesn't exist. We can't ignore it. And sometimes, you know what? We try to pretend it's okay. It's not. It's not. Let's, let's acknowledge it. So we recognize our despair. We call out our anguish our misery, and in doing so, we acknowledge that we need a Savior. When we recognize our failure, and we turn our focus and our perspective on Jesus, who is the one that has made the earthquakes, and is the one that will break us from our chains, when we focus our eyes do you know what happens when we recognize and when we call out and acknowledge our failures god starts god starts to show us our comeback story See, for a lot of us, all we see is the failure. All we see is the misery. All we see is the despair. That's all we see in front of us. That's the only thing that we can focus on because it's just right in front of us. Or maybe it's something that's happened in our past. And maybe it's something that's caused us to be paralyzed because of something that's maybe happened to us or some choice that we made. God starts to show us our comeback story. Come on, church. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Somebody needs to hear that. That God is in the midst right now of writing the next chapter. You just got to turn the page. Because right now, I say right, this, we are writing on a page right now that perhaps isn't the greatest. And perhaps isn't going to get published. And perhaps it's something secret. And perhaps it's something that's causing us to be paralyzed from moving forward. We can't turn the page. But God's already writing the chapter 
the next chapter. It's a comeback story. It's a comeback chapter. And God's writing it right now. And for some of you need to hear that this morning because right now you're just focused on what's in front of you. All you can focus on is the midst of the defeat, the midst of the failure, and the midst of the setback, the inner prison cell. And I'm telling you, there's so much abundant life if you turn the page. I wonder how often we allow the setbacks of our lives to settle in, whether it's a wound or a failure or a crisis or perhaps something simple as making a wrong decision or a wrong choice. I wonder if we've allowed these things to settle in and to dictate our next step. I wonder if I've allowed these things to paralyze me. My next turn in the road or my next chapter because I focus so much on what others have said about me or focus so much on what others have done to me or it's like I can't shake that. I have to focus on that and I can't move past it. And what we do is we convince ourselves that our setbacks are something that we have to overcome on our own. And the pain is something that we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and figure out on our own. We need to handle it, right? It's hard for us to hear that today. And we've convinced ourselves, especially us men, we've convinced ourselves up, oh, I can handle this. Oh, I can handle this. I, I, I refuse to show surrender. I'm not going to never surrender, right? I definitely refuse to show brokenness. Because I got people counting on me to be strong. And I don't want to show them brokenness. And I don't want to show them surrender. But how do we justify, how do we justify Psalms 51, 17, where it says a broken heart and a contrite spirit you will not ignore? King David said that. King David was pretty strong. The brokenness. Is the conduit. And I feel like some of us have a hard time with that. And I know I do. Admitting when I'm wrong. In the message it reads, the same verse in Psalm 51. One of my favorite verses and one of my favorite psalms. And it comes from the message, I learned God worship. When my pride was shattered. Wow. So I thought I knew. But until my pride was shattered, I learned something new. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Heart shattered lives ready for love. Don't for a moment escape God's notice. The heart of God is revealed later even in, in Psalms Chapter 147, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. See, I just believe that unless we allow God to step into our brokenness, unless we open the door, perhaps, and it's scary because it's a little bit of surrender and it's a little bit of showing something that we don't want others to see, 
But I believe as soon as we open that door and allow God to step into the midst of our brokenness, man, Josiah prayed about it earlier. The, 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 can you imagine the ugliness and the brokenness of Golgotha? Our God is a God of, of stepping into the midst of our broken, our broken lives, our failures, our misery, our anguish. He's ready for that. That doesn't scare him. The inner prison cells of our lives don't scare him. He can penetrate the walls. He can shake the foundations that we've been so set upon building ourselves. intimately involved in the midst of your setbacks and your failures. He's there. In the inner, in the inner, in the inner prison cell, he doesn't bat an eye at the chains or the shackles. You know, one of the things we've learned here, is, and hopefully some of you guys are new, that's cool, some of you guys have been here a couple weeks, some of you guys have been here since the very beginning of when we opened this church. And we kind of went back and forth on some of our core values. Did I go off? Sorry, I can't tell. I'm loud in my ears, so. <laughs> check, check. Hello? No, it's all right. There we go. No, don't worry about it. I'm in the middle of something, Josiah. Come on, baby. Hey. All right, thanks. He's there in the inner prison cell. He doesn't bat an eye at the chains or the shackles that are on our feet. And the, the thing is that what I find really cool about this church, and I find a lot of things cool about this church, and many of you guys do too, and I hope you get to learn the DNA of this church, and I hope you get to take any kind of, any kind of leadership class that we offer, any kind of um, training, team training, we've done those things, all that stuff, because you're going to learn some things about this church that are kind of unique. And one of the things is, is the core value of transformation. We consider that a core of who we are, transformation. And I look at that and I say, I, I, I can't help but look at how God loves us where we are so messed up. And he reaches into the midst of the, the ugly, into the inner prison cell. He reaches in. He steps in. He sits beside. He lays in the gutter. He loves us that much. But as I start to look, as I start to look at what that next step is for us, as he loves us right where we are, but he cares for us so deeply that he allows us to live. He, he, he doesn't want us. He doesn't allow us. He deeply cares about us, but he doesn't want us to live with the lies and the perspectives and the pursuits that rob us of his good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. 
I believe the perspective of failure, of not believing it's going to work, of not believing in the the, the, the hand of God on our lives, the hand of God on your ministry. And I'm not talking about professional ministry. I'm talking about ministry where you are at, where you are engaged, where you are influential, where you lead. By the way, everyone leads. Do you know that? Some of you in here are like, I'm not a leader. I don't, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not a boss. I don't care about title. You lead all the time. People watch you. And you lead. You influence people. You've heard that here before, though. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. There's that word again. Transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve God's will for your life. His good, pleasing, and perfect will for your life. Transformed. We believe in that. We believe that God loves us so much to stiff, to, to lay down in the gutter with us. But we also believe, I don't, I don't know about you guys, I don't want to be in the gutter forever. I accept God's grace on my life. I accept the provision. I accept the, the love that he has for me. And it's like he says, all right, I, I've given you this grace and I've given you this love. Now, now what? Now we dance in it. Now we have an opportunity to move. We have an opportunity to go forward, to advance Gina, one of, Gina Seacat, Gina's one of our pastors here. She's amazing. You don't, if you don't know her, you, you need to know her. She always signs off and always says stuff at the end of meetings like onward and upwards. And, those, and I love that because it's not about staying the same. Oh, yeah, we had a meeting, you know, like, and it's a reminder because we have sometimes we have meetings that are just not the, like, the most exciting meetings in the world. And afterwards, she's like, onward. I'm like, yeah. So that actually meant so that meeting we just had actually is for the kingdom? The, the, the mundane of our lives is actually, is actually advancing the kingdom? Because that's the way we should look at life. And I love that. Thank you, Gina. Because I love that, that, that idea of if we, we the, the stuff that maybe some of us isn't, isn't exciting for some of us. And the things that aren't impressive to the world can still advance the kingdom, can still transform you. Can I speak honestly to some of us in this room? I'm, I'm, I hope all of it was honest, but I'm speaking honestly now, and I, and I believe it's to myself as well. Quit being surprised at opposition. Quit being surprised at opposition. Some of us are constantly looking to be offended. And I don't believe that's, I, I mean, I went through the fruits of the Spirit. I didn't see getting offended as one of them. I believe we're in a culture 
where it's like you got to be on the defense all the time. You got to be, you, you, I, can't, I can't believe someone would say that about me. You get offended. Some of us put YouTube videos out, speaking of YouTube, and you go read the comments. And those are the worst things you could ever do, is read the comments of, a, of something you created. Because obviously you're proud of it, you put it out there for the world to see, and then the world just rips you apart. Disabled comments. Unless you're commenting something nice on Josiah and Joel's YouTube channel. But we are so apt to fly off the handle, to be offended by every little thing. And, so, and that's our culture, but you know what? It seeps into the church, right? It seeps into the church. Some of you may be offended by the message. I don't know. I know I'm going to preach it. But at the same time, some of us, are, 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 we bring that spirit of offense. We bring that spirit of, of, well, I can't believe so-and-so would have, you know, said that to so-and-so. It's almost like high schoolish. I, I work with teenagers. I know that. But when you find yourself under fire, whether for your faith, your beliefs, other people, spiritual warfare. When you find yourself under fire, all that means is that you're advancing the story of God. Advance. Don't shrink back. Advance the story of God. We live in the intersection of our story and God's story coming together to advance the kingdom. The intersection. We have far too many Christians who shut down at the first sign of opposition. I'm speaking to the people, not to the people that, that, that aren't. I'm speaking to the people who are in here right now who've maybe grown up in the church. Who have maybe been mature in their faith. And we shut down at the first sign of opposition. Or we get super... Can I do a football... We're in football season. Can I do a football analogy? As I do this analogy, the the band can come right back up. As many of you know, that doesn't really mean we're finished when I preach and I ask the band to come back up. But it's a step, okay? Football analogy. Here it is. We have a shot at a touchdown. Okay? We got the best quarterback in the world. And what do we do? We audible out of it. We call a draw play up the middle. That's a handoff to the running back up the middle. We call a draw play, and we have a shot at a touchdown or a first down. I've been to games like that, you know? I'm like, there's still time left in the game. Why aren't you trying to throw and score? No, we're just going to hand it off. I hate that. Up the middle, we don't get the touchdown or the first down, so we give up and we punt. And then what do we do? We rely upon our defense. We love defense. We don't take the risk and move forward. We just say, oh, our defense is good. My apologetics are great. And we rely upon it. We love playing defense, don't we? I think Christians focus way too much more on defense when it gets tough. What if we focus more on advancement? 
What if we focus more on offense of moving the kingdom forward instead of sitting back and saying, oh, well, you're going to try to tell me what I believe. Well, let me tell you. And I know there's a time for that. There's always a time for that. There's a time for apologetics. There's a time to be able to stand and deliver and defend your faith. But you do it in a way that advances the kingdom. You don't do it in a way that puts you in isolation. Oh, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I'm going I'm to stick to my guns. And I get that. I get that to a certain degree. I get that. But at the same time, we got to understand that our mission is to seek and to save. God's mission is to seek and to save our great commission. What is it? The great commission is a call for us to advance. It's a call for action. And I think a lot of times we're comfortable in what we believe. And we're comfortable in who we are. And we just say, you know what, I'm going to build the house with the garage door. I don't have to talk to my neighbors. And I'm going to get myself in a comfortable environment where I feel good and it's safe because I can raise my kids and they don't have to have any opposition. Man, why are we in that place? I'm going to hunker down and hold on. I don't think Paul and Silas were worried about defense. I think they were looking for ways that the church could advance. As a matter of fact, it's proven. It's proven in in the scripture how Paul makes a fuss about being escorted out of the prison by the magistrates. You guys catch that at the end? Kind of of a bizarre turn of events, right? Why would Paul just say, we're free, let's go? No, he's like, no, we will be walked out of here. And there's a reason he did that because he had advancement on his mind. He had kingdom advancement on his mind. He didn't have defense mode in place. This may, be in, this may seem insignificant to you and to the story, but it's actually really inspiring. Paul knew that if the authorities publicly apologize for their legitimate actions, if they publicly escorted them out, apologetically escorted them out. Paul knew something. Paul knew that everyone in Philippi would see and understand that the Christian faith did not violate public Roman law. If they watch the magistrates apologetically escort them out, the legitimacy of their ministry would be restored in the eyes of everyone watching, in the eyes of the people of Philippi. The infant church of Philippians, the Philippian church would be able to flourish under Roman occupation. Paul had this in mind. He was thinking advancement. He wasn't thinking, let's get out of here because that hurt. Let's get out of here. It's not safe. He was thinking of the church's future, the church's advancement. And he said, no. We will not leave until we are apologized to and walked out of here because when the people of Philippi see this, when they see us being walked out, they will know that what they see is legitimate, that the ministry here could still flourish. I'm going to have you guys stand with me, please. As we close, 
let us be praying for ways to advance in our love for others. Let us be praying for ways to advance in our love for others. Let us be praying for that. Not to shrink back or hunker down or wait it out. But what about others, especially others who are different than us, who think differently, who have a different set of, a different mindset? What about them? How can we creatively advance the kingdom and love people the way Jesus would love us? The way Jesus steps into our, mis- our misery and our mess. We're going to sing a song in a minute. The song's pretty appropriate for what we talked about today. And listen, I said it earlier. If this is maybe your first time hearing this story, or this is your first time in church, or this is your first time really getting it in a perspective maybe that you hadn't seen before, let me just say that God's provision is available to you today. That you can walk in this room, mess and all, misery, anguish. You can walk in here and you don't got to clean up and you don't got to wear what everyone else is wearing. You don't got to talk like everyone else is talking. And you can walk in here and God's provision and God's grace is available to you today. We're going to sing a song with these altars are always open. They're always open, but, and there's nothing special about these altars except it's a place that's available to you to kneel and to realize that I'm not on the throne. God's on the throne. And for some of you guys, this might be the first time you make that decision. I would love to get a chance to pray with you. For some of you in here, God is calling you out of hiding. For some of you, God is saying, wake up. Stop hunkering down. There's a world out there that we've been trying to hand the ball off. We've been trying to accept defeat. Oh, we'll just play defense. And God's saying, no, I want you to risk something. I want you to risk it. Bruce Arians, right? No risk it, no biscuit. I want you to risk it. God's called you out of hiding and his grace is sufficient for you as well. And he wants to do something in your life and change you and move you out of the shadows and move you out of the safe houses and move you out of the inner prison cells. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you meet us where we are, not where we want to be, not where we even should be sometimes in our own minds. But where we are right now in this moment, God, we ask that you meet us. Lord, we ask right now that you, your grace would overwhelm us. That we would worship you in spirit as well as in truth. That the overwhelming sense of emotion, maybe God, would be secondary to the truth that you have shown us.
Thank you for your provision, Lord. Thank you for a chance to worship you this morning. We don't take that for granted. We don't take that lightly. As we pray, as we sing, as we give our voice to you, we do what you only can do in our lives, God. And transform us from head to toe. And transform our minds. Transform our will. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this time as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. You're welcome. As we close together.